Hello and welcome to another episode of the Marvin's World podcast, a podcast where we speak to absolutely magnificent and triumphant individuals <laughs> with fascinating and engaging stories that we'll never forget. If you like this podcast, share it with your friends, give us a review on iTunes or on Amazon. If you did not, fair enough, just keep it to yourself. Today we have an absolutely wonderful guest. He is a man who is the 1940s crossed with Frank Sinatra, crossed with James Bond. He's a very stylish man, and he is a man you're going to absolutely love. Today, we are going to find out all about charm in business and building fantastic relationships. Please welcome Gareth Wax. Ah! Crowd goes crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, yeah. how you doing, Marvin? I'm good. How are you doing, Gareth? What's, what's I'm pretty happening? good. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. I was going to tell you, actually, um, it's part of my ethos that I want to tell you about. Something I got from the scene that I'm very involved with, which is the steampunk scene. Okay. Um, four elements to it I've distilled. One is I dress a certain way. I look like a, <clears throat> a mad parrot dressed in the dark and came out somewhere between the 1940s and the 1960s. I get that. <laughs> but it's distinctive. Second of all, a wide-eyed gleam towards the near future. What could be happening next? Sort of Jules Verne's sort of style. Ooh. Ooh. Cogs. Ooh. Cogs and gears and goggles. Very important. Got a lot of them. I, I don't have any here, bizarrely, but usually I've got cogs and gears and stuff. And finally, extreme politeness. Good. We all need that. And then if someone annoys you, you, you tell them off. Quietly. No, never tell them off. I kill them with kindness. <laughs> How do you do that? So if someone says, listen here, Gareth, if you don't do as I say, you're going to be da 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 Well, then I say, well, that's very kind. I'm glad we spent this time together. Uh, and I hope you live a long and fruitful life. <laughs> and that will annoy them even more. <laughs> Possibly, but I don't do it to annoy them. I just want—I don't—I want every interaction that somebody has with me to end up with a positive note. Okay, Namaste. <laughs> well, uh, bless you. Uh, yes, <laughs> the, the the point is that uh, if you uh, instill in someone the idea that there's a positive uh, forward motion that's going to come out of your interaction with them. Every time they interact with you in the future, that's what they're going to expect because people create that first impression and their first impression lasts. So, yes, I come across like a crazy madcap fellow in a silly hat and an even stupider bow tie. But the truth of the matter, but the truth of the matter is I'm full of positivity. I just want everyone to succeed. And that's and is that part of the reason why you got into your journey? Well, not really. I mean, um, I was a geek at school. I was an inveterate geek. There's a, there's several memes on the internet. One of the most amusing ones, I like trains. I was one of those people. I like trains. I like, uh, I used to like steam power. I, I like all that sort of stuff. And at school, I was sort of as the geek and um, picked on an all fit. And I always thought to myself, one day, Everybody is going to cease thinking I want to 
be just the same as everybody else and stand out. And there are there are already standing out. <laughs> the, but hopefully for the right reason. When I started, um, I was a musician. I was always into music. I was always wanted to play. I was a percussionist, drummer. So the first few times when I did, I would perform um, with bands, perform, we, we performed everywhere. And I thought that was going to be my big career. I really thought that was where it was at. I, I, uh, my, my whole plan was to do being a, a, a touring rock band and that's what I wanted to do. And, and in fact, I left school early to do pretty much that. But after the first, the third year really of doing that, it just wasn't going anywhere. We were making some money, but in truth, I just don't think it was going to be for us long-term. And we started getting to the point where we were pretty much falling out. So I came home with a suitcase full of notes French notes at the time, francs. That tells you how old I am. French francs. And I thought I'd got to make my career somewhere else. And I met someone in a pub who said, you want to do what I do? I, I do communications. I said, he said, yes, I do communications for the AA. Why don't you come along? And I went along and I got a job there. And for about a year, I was working for the AA. And from then on, I just worked. I knew nothing about communications in the start. I kind of learnt about comms work over time. And gradually, I just worked contract, short-term contract, six months here, six months there, for 19 years. And by the end of it, I'd, I'd become a Cisco engineer. So I, I was did a lot of work with Cisco equipment. And eventually, I just had enough, and I stopped. Um, for two years I stopped and then one day I met another guy in the pub. He said, I've started this company selling Cisco. Do you want to come and help? I went, I've got to do something. So I started with him. Um, and at the time also I started a band as well. And, and then I became a, a salesperson, I suppose for a while. And eventually it got to the point where I thought I, don't want to take orders from anyone anymore. Hmm. And during that period, I was still working. I came up with an idea for some software because my wife was uh, a phlebotomist, which means she takes blood for a living. Oh. So you know when you go and get a blood test? She's one of them. We call her a day walker. <laughs> so, <laughs> so she takes blood for testing but my wife suffers well she's born with a condition called dyscalculia she can't do numbers you ask her the quickest way to make her cry is ask her to do a two times table she cannot handle it the pressure it just gets to her she's a brilliant absolutely stunning woman very learned but just cannot do numbers and because she's so good at what she was doing taking the blood doing it swiftly quickly with no pain you wouldn't know she was doing it um they made her to head of department and unfortunately in, in the nhs when you do something like that and you're head of department what do they want lots of figures they want to know how fast how many when oh 
And so she was crying on my shoulder every week. And I thought, I bet you there's some way we could write something to do this for people. So we did. And I sold it into the NHS. And for a while, I made my money doing that. And during that time, um, I was kind of looking around what to do. And I found a company on my doorstep. I mean, this is how lazy I am. It was like five minutes walk from where, where my house was. And I knocked on their door and I said, look, I believe you want somebody to sit there making phone calls. I'm at a loose end. When I sit there making phone calls for you, you pay me a little bit of money and I'll work out what I want to do next. And two months later, I bought the company. Oh. And that was eight years ago. But so that company thrived initially. And then I rebranded it to a better name. Basically, the, the old name was complicated and nobody would, knew what it meant. So I rebranded it to a much better name. And the, the, its new name was Trust Us To Call. And it was a band of eight people based in northwest London that represented businesses who wanted to talk to other businesses. So very quite niche. You know, this the, the, what the Americans refer to as a niche um focusing on enabling companies who were too scared to pick up the phone or too scared to talk to other businesses to have a voice yeah. and everybody in my team were i wouldn't say elder statesmen but the youngest was in their 40s and the eldest was in their 50 late 50s and the whole deal is i wanted people who didn't desperately want to close deals over the phone they wanted to build conversation and get people interested in them because once they're interested in them they're more likely to talk about the products and services of the company they represent so we did that and that, that went quite well it, it, it's still it's still going obviously under covid times calling people in business is a bit of a bit of a joke really because 90 percent of them just aren't either picking up the phone or aren't there so i've had to put that on ice the moment but during that time i've still been making music still been running bands and i kind of developed an alter ego oh called dj bongo <laughs> um in fact the full title if you really want to be pedantic about it and i think i should be is dj bongo makes you bounce yeah. <laughs> Whoa, I know, silly. The, the reason why there's another, there's a, a person in America called DJ Bongo, and I wanted to, I didn't give myself that title. So I, uh, full disclosure, when I perform, I perform Electro Swing. And I don't really write all the tracks. What I do is I, I collaborate with people who have already written tracks, and I say, let me do the percussion, and I'll do it live. So I play live percussion over existing tracks but very specific, Electro Swing. And Electro Swing is a, a nice marriage between a modern, bouncy, four-to-the-floor beat with 1940s, 1930s, Charleston-style beats. And it, it's, it's very upbeat. You don't get any breakup songs in Electro Swing. Everyone's bouncy and happy. Yeah, mine's a tea, please. Uh, okay. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> thank you. Oh, cheers. <laughs> I'm first, Jesse. Um, 
so the so the whole basis of it is I just want to make people happy and bouncy and want to dance. That's that's the whole basis behind it. And I used to perform two or three times a week. I even went busking with it near where I live, which is in Richmond. So I'd busk on the edge of the river, and it was it was very popular. Um, during lockdown, incidentally, I've been working as part of the Rockin' the Lockin, that's without ends, Rockin' the Lockin uh, team of people. And what we've been doing is producing online shows that have lasted anything up to eight or nine hours of all these different performers, each doing 20 minutes each usually. And I've been comparing them. So if anybody wants to look that up, please do. And you'll see me there in my silly top hats and sequined outfits and all sorts of things. Always wearing a bow tie, mind you. Uh, oh. Promoting and, and, uh, and presenting all these different people. And so I was doing all this. And two years ago, I thought to myself, how can I bring in more business? How can I bring in more business for Trust Us to Call without having to phone lots of people myself or spend a lot of time? I wanted to find a way of doing it that was efficient and leverage something that I'm already involved with. Of course, one of the things I'm involved with is LinkedIn. Now, LinkedIn, as you may or may not know, is a huge group of people. In the same way as Facebook or, or any of the other social media platforms are. The only difference is everybody on LinkedIn is in business. So rather than being a B2B platform, it's really a, a business, it's a person-to-person -person platform where it so happens that everybody happens to be in business. Yeah. And I always tell everybody this, and they say, but that's the same thing. They say, no, it isn't. It just means that you can appeal to people's hearts and minds and get them to feel for you. Because once they trust you, they're much more likely to trust whichever business you represent. You know, trust is the root of all good sales, certainly repeat sales. They have to trust you and have to believe that you are value, but also a safe pair of hands. I suppose that's the major focus. Sorry, I've been talking consistently. You should, you should butt in and, and, and ask me questions. I mean, it would be quite a podcast if I was, you were talking and I was, you were midway through and I said, <laughs> well, if that's the way you talk, of course it would be. <laughs> but I was expecting you to ask me questions. Yeah, not, no. I'm, otherwise, it's more of a lecture. Now, listen here. No, no, go on. No, I was, I was in. Yeah, so it's interesting that you say that because one of the things that often gets misconstrued with sales is that you're dodgy Dell boys where you, you trick people dodgy and then you do, them, do them over. But how do you sort of build charm people? but you do it in an authentic and right way. Well, it's not about charming them. What it is, it's, I mean, full disclosure, I, I'm high-functioning autistic. Um, so I, I struggle, bizarrely, with human-to-human -human interaction. So I've had to develop coping strategies that enable me to deal with people. And in doing that, it's made me a bit of an amateur anthropologist. I spot people, I look for similarities, I look for the ways in which they're triggered or not triggered. And I, and I, I understand some of the basics. I'm by no means an expert, not even close. But one of the most fundamental things, as I said before, is trust. So building trust, especially in the modern age, it's quite hard. 
with the with the advent of Photoshop, with the audio manipulations, with um, it's very easy to improve your your look, to change yourself, to become more attractive to to whoever it is you want to become attractive to. So it becomes a lesson in falsehood, really, that you are misrepresenting yourself in order to get ahead. And I'm trying to fight against that. We like to pro present the unvarnished truth, but to point out the benefits of being authentic from the get-go. Because authentic communication um, creates permanent bonds. Inauthentic communication or lying or misconstruing means that at some point, if you're, f if you're found out, from that point onwards, the scales have fallen from people's eyes and they no longer hold you up as the paragon of virtue they might have done. Mm. But it's a bit like, um, I mean, so you're saying once all politicians get found out, they're finished. <laughs> finished? Not finished necessarily, no. Because the world is not a black and white place, much as I would like it to be. I, I for me... I struggle with grey. I like blacks and whites. I like things to be yes or no. But it isn't that way. I've had to concede that. It isn't that yeah. way. So to use your comparison, if a politician is found out to be cheating on his wife, <laughs> does that mean he can't be a good politician? Probably not. Does that mean you shouldn't trust him? It probably means you should look at everything he writes twice. But it doesn't mean he can't be a good politician. Uh, however, however, a politician who has a record of apparently cheating to someone or apparently lying to someone is more likely to be less trustful, less trustworthy than a politician that again and again and again demonstrates how trustworthy they are. So it's a sliding scale, isn't it? What is... Um, what? So, what is your reaction to um, if someone behaves to you in a way that is complete bullshit, like in terms of like the fake niceness that you see in a Hollywood movie where someone goes, hey. It depends on the context. It depends on the context. Um, if it's, if I, there are three contexts, and, and, one, and, and some, of, some of the contexts I'll do nothing. And I'm going to recommend everybody reads one thing, especially if they want to understand about, in fact, two things, if I want to understand human behavior a little bit more clearly. Fred, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to knock it out of the park. Three things. First book to read is a book by Desmond Morris called Man Watching. Uh, it's a lot about human behavior, but also about body language. And it helps you understand when you're facing someone a little bit more about how they feel about you and therefore whether they're taking you seriously and also whether they're talking bullshit. Second, <laughs> second uh, book is How to Win Flen Friends and Influence People, a book from the late 1950s applies to now just as it did then. It helps you understand a little bit more about the way, way speech can be, how you can influence people, how people can influence you and how to understand the best ways of dealing with your fellow man and woman. Uh, and 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 uh, I think if you take those, if you read them, you'll find it really informs you. It really makes you feel a bit more confident that you can understand how to deal with people like that. And then lastly, 
uh, I want I would recommend people read The Art of War by Sun Tzu, which is a book written I think 600 BC, uh, and it is written by a Chinese emperor. And one of the you read to read it through, but there are certain amazing applicable parts to it. One of which is sometimes to win the battle, it's best not to start the fight. You need to choose which battles are worth fighting. If someone starts spouting bullshit in front of you, sometimes it's just as sensible just to go, yes, you're quite right. Absolutely. Well, lovely meeting you. Bye-bye now. Because the goal in fighting with him, in trying to, or her, or trying to put them straight, or putting your impression upon them, what would be what would be the benefit? What the net benefit would be none, unless what they are somehow involved with you, or involved in a, a process, or or a situation, or a service, or a company that you're working with. And even if they are, what you would do is you say, you might take them aside informally and say, I heard what you said before and I just wanted to perhaps add another side to the same story just perhaps so you can see either my point of view but there's sometimes no point in stamping your authority on someone you need to understand which battles are worth fighting yeah if that makes sense because they take a lot of energy (laughs) well it's energy time effort and also you've got to understand what are your achievable goals what would you achieve by having putting that person straight? For instance, you encounter someone at a party who's spouting a ton of bullshit about a whole series of topics that you know a lot about. And inside you're going, but I could set him straight and stop this bullshit. And then you think to yourself, I'm not really likely to ever come across this person again. He has no direct impact on my life. And the people around him, I can see by monitoring their body language, aren't taking much notice of him anyway. So the only person I'm going to appeal to is by strengthening my ego, by showing him how much I know compared to how little he or she knows. And that's not an honourable way forward, is it? So in which case, you nod, smile and move on. Okay. But when you're... So when you're... It's quite an interesting sort of service you do in terms of, like, you work with the client and help them get get relationships well we've got two companies here now i was actually going to lead to that but i kind of branched off to talk about the music because i'm very keen to talk about our latest venture which is the purple lounge but we'll talk about that in a second the purple fedora which is the latest product and service we're putting out which i started two years ago is helping people achieve better interactions on linkedin helping coach them to get the very best out of the way in which they present themselves on that business medium and then outsourcing from them some of the effort that really would be put into uh, daily and weekly to push their profile forwards ever upwards. So typically to use LinkedIn properly, you need to spend between two and six hours a week on it really, depending on how well you want to promote it. And, my perception is that there are two groups of people out there that we could help with that. They're either people who are way oversubscribed on their time 
they've got no time available um and therefore they want someone else to do some of that effort for them to help promote them promote their business get more people to buy into what they do or there's the cbas you know the cbas no what are CBAs? They can't, they can't be asked oh, okay <laughs> and they can't be asked actually are the larger group they're the people who spend fortunes up seven eight hundred nine hundred pounds on a linkedin coach to help them reformat and reproduce their profile and then to give them social selling actions that they should do every week to bring in new business and to get people talking to them and three weeks later what are they doing they're back to their old tricks they're doing very little a post here and there do you see what i mean so what we do is We'll help them get their profile up to a certain point and then represent them online, pushing out their messages, getting people to interact with them. And then once you've got a certain number of people interacting with them on LinkedIn, you pass over to the trust us to call, which will then call up the people and close them down and book meetings and make it so the business actually creates business. Does that sort of make sense? Yes. Yeah, so you have one company that does one thing and you have another one that does the other part of it. Exactly. Because the best way of making phone calls is when they already are interested in what you do. And the best way I think of getting a business interested in what you do is on LinkedIn. So my, my focus is getting people to start with one, run it for two or three months. So by that stage, like on all social media, there's a build. So you've built followers, built connections, and you've got reactions. And then you've got all these people that joined at what LinkedIn refers to as level one connections. That one's directly connected to you who are following your every move, who are probably writing some comments, who are certainly liking and following your posts. And then you can leverage that into telephone conversations because it's not a great hop, skip and a jump to go, well, I can see you're interested in what we're doing. How about we have a telephone conversation and see if we can work out whether we can help you in some way. So that's, that's our dual process now. And that's all comes under the term, uh, well, uh, purple fedora at the, at the one end. So, and, and the other end is, is uh, trust us to call. So purple fedora first, trust us to call second. And recently, because I perceive that everybody is so zoomed out, so fed up with the constant push and pull of this online stuff, We've created the Purple Lounge based on Remo, well, Remo.co, if anybody wants to check it out. Remo provides you a top-down view in two dimensions of what could, you could think of like a wedding hall or a, or a conference center with tables and chairs in it, table sizes of six, four, and two usually, spread out around it all with a stage at the top. Now, I'm a musician, DJ Bongo, at your service. <laughs> And what I wanted to do was gather around a mixture of um, interesting acts, circus skilled performers, musicians, groups, and put them on four or five at a time with a break in between. So people can join in this auditorium, sit on a seat, talk to the people next to them, jump to other seats on other tables, talk to them, hobnob, chit chat, and all those good things. And every 20 minutes, or sorry, every 10 minutes, another performer comes on for 20 minutes and delights them. 
it's a place to relax every Friday between 3.30 and 7. Do come along. Yeah. And it, it's, uh, I think it costs, including booking fees, £6 and 2p. So not expensive. And the whole idea is to get people to talking to each other, most of which are already in business of one sort or another. Some people are in business for themselves, some people are members of other businesses. And get them to talk about other things other than just business. So chit-chat. Set the mind of it. Yes. How often has it been a case where you yourself have been in, where you have a problem, but because you've done something else, you've ended up figuring it out? So, say that again. I've had a problem, and I've so, done something else. So, like, when you do something, as you say, your, your pur purple lounge takes people's minds of things. So well, I've already made, I've, I've only run it twice. This is the third one coming up this Friday. And in the first one, somebody came on the first one, came to the second one, and now I've booked our services on Purple Fedora. Yeah. So, it's, a, it's, it's quite a... Well, it's a gentle sell. They just—they know that we're there. We don't talk about what we do. There's an icon on the left. If they want to click on it and find out what we do, they can do. But other, other than that, they're just there to enjoy themselves. And what happens, of course, is I have some of my clients there as well. I have some of my ex-clients there. And they, they talk, oh, yes, Gareth and his team, they'll look after you. You should chat to them. <laughs> so it's a, I, I, I don't have to do any selling or any marketing because... My clients and, and other people who already know what I do and value it will do it for me. Yeah. And do you, but it's a great thing that you do. And I think how often has it been the case where because you focus on something else besides work, you've been able to sort a problem at work because of that? Oh, not as often as I'd like, <laughs> it has, but it has happened that way. Um, the, the woman who was the promoter for Rock in the Lock-In, I met through a business event. So I was at a business event, and we got bored talking about business stuff. And I said, so what do you do when you're not here? She said, I run a vocal group. And I said, that's interesting. And she said, but I hear that there's, you know, because this is just before lockdown, we, there's a big push towards producing something online and I'm going to be involved in it. Would you like to be involved in it too? And I said, sure, let's, let's do it. Let's make music. And so that got me into it. So it was literally we, through a business event that got me into more music. Oh, bloody hell. It's, it's funny how things happen, isn't it? But do you, do you feel it's law of attraction or what, what's your thoughts on that? Or you just feel that life is like that? You just think... No, 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 I don't look. I don't think there's, a, I think life is a whole series of interconnected uh, coincidences. But the, the, the matter of, uh, uh, of the way to succeed at life is keep your eyes open. Um, if you don't, if you're too focused on the one thing that you're doing, you won't see all these amazing coincidences that are happening around you that you could take advantage of. The trick of the matter is, you know, there's this old, this old phrase that if you, if you stand at the edge of the street, eventually, the whole world will, will come past you. Well, there are two types of people, aren't there? They're the people who stand on the edge of the street with their eyes open, seeing what is actually going to come past them, ready to take advantage of them, or ready to get involved. And the other type of people who are 
too busy staring at their phone or get, looking at their own stuff that they don't even notice when stuff is going by them. And I'd, yeah. like to, I'd like to be in the former group where I'm taking notice of stuff that's happening. And if there's a way in which I can help people or get involved to the betterment of society, I will do. But you have to be, you have to have your eyes open, uh, Marvin, otherwise you'd never notice that was going on. What, what's been like the hardest journey to get to you where you are now? Um, that's a good question. I think it has been overcoming my own fear of failure. Finding a way through. Okay, and what do you feel that... Um, how how do you adjust your approach based on the person you're dealing with to get them to do things the right way? Um, I think I think you're it, it, you need to ask questions about them, find out what they're trying to do, find out what their driver is. Okay, and then how often are you surprised by that? Um, I'm rarely surprised about anything these days, but the truth of the matter is the more I ask questions, the more likely I am going to find the best solution for them. Okay. And is, is there a particular mad story that you've had on your journey that's really shocked your five of your being? <laughs> yes, uh, actually, I took on a client recently. And halfway through, just, just on LinkedIn promotion, and halfway through the call, she just burst into tears, completely lost. And, I, and you know, I'm thrown because I, you know, this, I'm dealing with a business issue here. And it turned out that although she's been getting such a brilliant response to what she does, um, The truth of the matter is that uh, she doesn't know how to best promote herself. So she's been feeling like for the last six months, she's been banging her head against a brick wall. And so I had to change mode from being businesslike and talking about, you know, this is how you do this, how you promote yourself, and this is how to write your profile. I had to move out of that and start saying, so what is it that's making you cry right now? And it turned out to be self-doubt. She was starting to doubt that she had anything value. So what I did was I said, right, let's break it down. Let's work out all your successes. Let's talk about each one of them. So she took me the last five successes she had. And she said, and I, went, I wanted to, I went, right, tell me what was the highlight for each one? And she told me. And I said, so if you put them together, you've helped this person achieve this. You've helped this person achieve this. I'm being careful. I don't want to name her. Or, yeah. You've heard each one achieve this. Can you appreciate how much benefit you've given them? And she said, well, I never really thought about it that way. And I said, so what you're doing, you're not just charging them money. You're providing you something which is life-changing. You need to be proud of yourself. So I then said, stand up. And she looked at me very weirdly because it's on a Zoom call. Um, stand up, put your shoulders back, 
and tell me that what you do has value. And she stood up and she didn't say anything. I said, come on, tell me. What I do has value. And she did it. And she did it two or three times. And by the end of it, she stopped crying and said, all right, I think I've got, I can do this now. That was the most shocking. I had to change from being a, a business analyst into being a counsellor in, in a split second. Um, and I'm not very good at that. It's not my, I'm, autistic people don't deal with emotion very well. I don't. But I needed to get her to a point where she could think clearly. And so we had to get to the point where she was just running with tears and start thinking about what great benefits she'd already provided. Because if she could see and start liking what she did and liking herself, because I think that was what the core of it, she stopped, she ceased liking herself. And it's a starting point. I mean, I, was, I didn't give her a silver bullet, but it was, it was almost, it was like the, it was the verbal equivalent of me shaking her by the shoulders and saying, but you do have value. And that, that's probably part of the reason, is that part of the reason why you love this job as well? Because you also learn a lot from them as well and you get to give a lot of value to the people. Uh, you the thing I love about this job most of all, to create um, systems and services that are transformative, that can take a person who's stuck at this point here and almost open the doors so that they can get to that point there. And that's not like old school sales. I can get you 1500 of these. It's not about that. It's about making them feel that they can achieve. Oftentimes people are, by the time we're working with them, feeling a bit like they've tried everything and they're not sure what they're going to do next. So if you're going to give them a mode, a process that makes them feel that they can achieve, that's worth everything. And that that's what keeps going when it gets hard and when it struggles. The reward. Yeah, you keep telling yourself when they come through the other side of this and they look back, not only will they be thanking you, but they'll be patting themselves on the shoulder. It's not. It's not good enough that they're thanking me. They need to be thanking themselves as well. Well, one more thing that I want to ask you. Of course. Is um, how can people reach you and find out about what you do? Well, if you look on my screen, you'll see my email address there. It's gareth at purple-fedora.com. Um, if you hunt for me on LinkedIn, I'm Gareth Wax. Uh, anybody who connects to me on LinkedIn, I'll give out 21 super secret LinkedIn tips. Hang on, let me do that properly. Super secret. How about that? <laughs> Ooh. I know, spooky. Uh, I've got a a 12 track mixing desk here. We're rude not to use it. Um, but seriously, I'll help anyone to get to a better place on LinkedIn. And if anybody wants some advice, just contact me, no cost. And I'll give you some, some, some advice where we make our money is in supporting you ongoing, not from one off advice. Yeah. Well guys, that's been Gareth Wax. I uh, hope you guys have had a lot of fun listening to him. It's been a pleasure having him on. I hope, hope you've had fun, Gareth. And best of luck and take care during this. I wish you well. Bye-bye now. Take care.